sometimes people only see things from a, a human perspective. Yes. And, um, where I come from is totally, I, I come from a biological perspective. I'm looking at the big picture. I'm looking at evolution. I'm looking at processes. And, you know, you could just as easily say that the arrival of this coronavirus is incredibly timely. It is reminding people that they need to take a pause. They yes. need to rethink. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe, and you're listening to the Growth Tribes podcast with Dr. Rowe and Harms. This is the podcast where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to develop and record these podcasts is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine sincere hope, that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have gained at least one insight that you can take away and apply directly into your own life practical tools, voices that come in from both generations, the younger generation with tips and tools and the older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience so that you can help unlock your true potential to give the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level and to give you a chance to impact both your lives and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. Welcome to the Growth Tribes podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Tribes podcast. We've got an extra, extra special episode today because we are super excited about hitting a milestone and that is we've now received over 4,000 downloads as we get to episode 20. And just by luck or serendipity, we have the first episode as episode 20 where we'll be joined by guests and we have two amazing people with us today and actually quite timely guest and quite a timely conversation based on what's going on. So Ro, hi, and I'll allow you to welcome these guests because you actually know them personally as well. Thanks, Harms. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. We are unbelievably pumped. We've made a decision that we wanted to start bringing some guests onto the podcast. And we had to think very carefully across all the people that I know and Harminda knows. And I think the decision was that we know that we're driven more than anything else by the need to make sure that we live a healthy and vibrant and spiritually balanced life. That's very much about the, the focus of what we do here on Growth Tribes. So there's really only two people I could bring to the table that we felt would fill that space and that could actually give you some incredible value. And that's our two guests today. And that is Dr. Rob Verkirk and Melanie Aldridge, two people I've known for some time now. Hi both for joining me. Thanks a lot for coming on to the Grow Tribes. Can you hear me okay? Hi yes, Ro. Perfectly. Hi Ro, thank you. So I'm privileged to be invited here by the way. So this is, you know, unusual circumstances. We're all recording in different locations. We can't see each other because bandwidths are a little bit upside down at the moment on the internet. You're both... Are, are, and did and I, self-isolation. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> we, we are You're, socially isolated and digitally connected. Absolutely. And connected in lots of other ways as well. And, I mean, I'll, I'll introduce both of them just in a moment. Rob, Rob and Mel are here really to represent a much bigger message than I think very few people can get across in this current global climate. And they both here representing the Alliance of Natural Health. And I'm going to just international, I'm going to use ANH, Alliance of Natural Health. Can I just use ANH? Is that okay as we talk through this? Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
and and I think many times before. Yeah, I mean, what we'll do is I I think it's important for (laughs) listening to understand actually what A and H is about. So I think Harminder's going to tackle that. But before we do that, I'd like to talk into the space and get a little bit more understanding about Rob and Mel, so that those of you listening get a really strong sense of who they are as people. We are in in genuinely an unprecedented time in history. I sat with my daughter today, who's eleven, and had that very same conversation again with her today, and explained to her that in years to come we're going to look back at this moment in time as a defining time and i think it's how people respond to the circumstances that are going on around us that will define who they become through that and i was trying to explain that to a little 11 year old brain and and saying to her that it's not what happens to you that makes a difference in who you become it's actually how you react to it that defines who you become in the future and i think a lot of that is about the message of health, vitality, how we can support our immune system. And tonight's very much about that. And both Rob and Mel are absolutely you know, out there leading this field in so many different ways. So, so thank you both for coming on. I'm going to give absolutely. a little bit of an introduction to the two thank of you, if that's you. okay, first. And then sure. kind of I'm going to step back. I'm used to being quite a strong voice on this. So it's nice for me to step back and and we're going to if it's okay with you, because I've known you for so long as well, we're just going to do this as a bit of a fireside chat. So we'll, those of you listening, you're going to hear us talking, maybe interrupting. There's passion, there's enthusiasm, jumping in to add lots of different things. Having been around these two before, I mean, Harminda knows I can talk, but trust me, when I'm in the presence of Robin Mel, I shut up because there's just they ooze with passion. They ooze with knowledge. And we're talking about a combined experience here of of almost 60 years in their field. I mean, that's very, very, very unusual to have two people with that much knowledge, with that much passion and the ability to articulate it. I've been around a lot of very educated people who can't articulate it. But the two of you just have that passion. So give me a moment to introduce you both. Rob, Dr. Rob Verkirk, when I first met him, I was uh, one of the first things that caught me was this. He's got that kind of steely glint in his eye. <laughs> you pr- Mel probably laughing when I say that, but he's got this youthful passion, albeit, I believe uh, we're knocking on the door of 60 this year, Rob. Is that correct? It, it is indeed correct. But you have the soul of a 30 year old, maybe even younger. <laughs> I feel like a 12-year-old most of the time. And I'm looking at Rob's picture on Skype here, and that is not a 60-year-old. That is certainly somebody in their mid-30s. Well, I'll put it this way, right? The last time I saw them, they were cycling off into the sunset, to quote some, with um, an Olympic, a para-Olympian cyclist, Jacko Van Gas, who's just now heading off. Well, he's actually been nominated to go off to Japan, which is amazing. All being hopefully that's all going to go ahead. But they were literally just shooting off to do some incredible cycling together, the three of them. So, uh, I mean, the both of them keep their, their energy incredibly high with what they're going to talk about tonight as well. But Rob's background I'm, I'm, I'm going to just read some notes for you, for you all so that you understand a little bit about this for, for both of them. And an internationally acclaimed multidisciplinary sustainability scientist. Have I got that right? You Rob? got it right. You hit it uh, on the nail straight yeah, out of my biog. And that, that's a subject I think it'd be good to get you to expand on that. I know when I first talked to you, that fascinated me just how far back you've gone on this journey, whereas a lot of people on it now, you've been doing it for three or nearly four decades. 35-year background in environmental, agricultural, food, nutrition, health sciences, which 
for a lot of people might think, okay, well, this is just an academic. Actually, no. Rob's worked both in the academic field, the commercial field, the non-for-profit sector. And I think because of that, his credibility has risen. Often when somebody's an academic, a lot of people go, yeah, but you're just an academic. He's crossed that boundary, which I think certainly when I met him stood out massively. He's also a fellow of the American College of Nutrition and the founder of the Alliance of Natural Health. Alliance for Natural Health. So I think when you hear him talk, just be appreciative of this is a man that's been interviewed in various media spaces. I think you've got over 60 papers in different journals. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, That's quite a profound thing to do. I mean, I've got, I think, 10 from my background in my PhD. 60 is just a whole nother level again. Yeah. You know, I was a postdoc postdoc for seven years and you've got to keep pumping them out and I was um I was I was going to commit my whole life to academia until I realized there's something wrong with the direction we were going in and then I flipped to the non-profit so my publication rate has been slower in that space but it is massively increased in other areas yeah I think that's the point and this is when I when I looked back at Rob when I first met him and I started to look at these publications that they're spread a lot of people you'll see especially academically, like myself, if you look at my publications in my field, they were just in one area when I was in that particular period, but you've maintained that throughout. And that to me is about having a lifelong commitment to a vision, which is very much, you know, my, my interpretation. Just to say this, uh, Mel said the other day, Rob, the difference in the way that you write these days compared with 18 years ago is that people can actually understand what you're writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Even the likes of Harminder, who's you know a young, <laughs> a young millennial, young millennial, do, have no scientific language whatsoever. And and I must admit, when I read the blogs in research and preparation for the podcast, I had to read the blogs about three times for it to digest. <laughs> so I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, <laughs> so let's flip to Mel. And you know what's lovely is this male-female dynamic. So Mel Aldridge. And when I met Mel, I wasn't quite sure because how this this is going to work when I first met her, this fit. But she's got this lovely energy that she kind of comes into the room. And actually, Mel arrives in the room before Mel arrives in the room. I think Rob knows what I'm talking about. There. <laughs> There's this kind of aura that she brings with her. Because I think, Mel, because of your huge belief in the spiritual healing that each of us carry as well, I think that the fact that you've crossed that over into what you do in a practicing way is very unusual. Very rarely do you get somebody that has that balance between science and the spiritual healing that goes on around all of us. And the fact that you can communicate it in a way that makes sense, you know, that's a gift. So I want to compliment you on that. But you, your background, you know, you've literally immersed yourself in the field of integrative medicine for close to 30 years and this is going to be a mouthful for me so i'm going to say it but you're a practicing clinical psychoneuroimmunologist is that correct (laughs) psychoneuroimmunologist that's Um, it psychoneuroimmunologist (laughs) do you want to just explain what that is just briefly for anyone that hasn't seen the word just go look it up but it's a heck of a word just explain what in a nutshell for somebody listening what does that mean Okay, so people are very used to hearing a lot about functional medicine, about integrative medicine, but psychoneuroimmunology was, um, it started out as being a much more drier, investigative, kind of academic research science. When when researchers started to look at the connections between our immune system, um, our whole neurology, and the way our mind actually <clears throat> functions within all of this. And then it's grown and grown in interest because there's an awful lot of evolutionary biology in this for, you know, how we developed when we came out of the primordial soup 
and how this complex hierarchy of systems, um, cells and organs now makes up who we are as human beings. I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was now, but fairly recently, within the last 10 years, a Dutch group have actually taken this and turned it into practical application for clinicians. So there's actually very few of us around. There's quite a few academic psychoneuroimmunologists, but there are not very many clinical psychoneuroimmunologists who are actually taking this pathway medicine and using diet and lifestyle modification to to bring change and to rebalance somebody's body again. So we say that it's, you know, a lot of soft skills encased in very hard science using pathway medicine to actually allow the body to bring itself back into balance and, and into homeostasis again and bring healing back. And we, we use evolutionary biology and how that informs us to be able to do that. And quite literally, you realize how miraculous the body is. Well, even the term evolutionary biology could be a subject for a one hour conversation, couldn't it? I, mean, I, I, I remember <laughs> okay. that uh, the last time I saw you, we talked about this. That I'm, I've written it down because it might be that we come back and revisit that. But you're also a functional medicine practitioner, a certified a metabolic balance coach. Explain that because that's another you don't hear that term very often actually what's a metabolic balance coach so that is actually a practice that originated out of germany and it was a doctor there who unfortunately has passed away now who actually pioneered a way of being able to to rebalance the metabolism and obviously you will be aware and many of your listeners will be aware that what um, is the basis of so much chronic disease these days is actually metabolic dysfunction so we see that in type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, obesity and cancer and all, all the sort of swathe of, um, of chronic diseases. They have a core of metabolic dysfunction. And so what, doctor, what this Dr. Von Fack actually uncovered was a way of being able to use food and the timing of food, he was so before his time, you know, it was before intermittent fasting, it was before anybody knew about keto, it was before any of these things. And then he developed a way of being able to use somebody's own personal blood test to inform the type of nutrients that they needed. And actually, it's a pretty keto, um, although it's low, it's low fat in the beginning, but yeah. you, you reduce it to low carb and you do a lot of intermittent fasting. I am passionate about it because it, it healed me and my own autoimmune condition that I'd been struggling with for most of my life. So it then, it, it's been an amazing, my own journey has been an amazing journey, sort of being led by my body into different places in order to bring healing. And the metabolic balance led into um, the psychoneuroimmunology because even the people teaching met the metabolic balance couldn't actually explain why it worked. And Amazing. yet, when I, when I started my postgrad in, in, we call it CPNI for short, which is a lot easier. So when I started that and I started learning, it was like, oh, all the lights turned on. And I suddenly understood why metabolic balance actually worked. And, you know, everything comes full circle. I think at some point it'd be quite 
good for us to maybe dig a little bit back into your story. You talked about what happened with you there. So I've made a note. Maybe if you can share that a little bit later, if that's okay. Yeah, um, sure. Also, I mean, you lectured, I believe it was in St. Mary's College for, was it 11 years? So, I mean, you've, you've got an experience of sharing a, a sports rehabilitation, sharing the message. I guess for you, that was a, a place, was that a journey in your life where you were just wanting to get a message out there prior to then going on and working with Rob with A&H? I know it, it was actually quite remarkable because as anyone who meets me knows, you, I'm not your standard academic. And how I landed up there, I still look and I think the universe is quite remarkable because um, if you take the first step and you allow the next one to be revealed in front of you, your journey through life is just phenomenal. And that's kind of how I landed up at the university. I, I was a practitioner. And so I went in not as an academic, but as a practitioner. Mm-hmm. And um, the very enlightened program director for the sport rehabilitation course decided that she really didn't want her graduates coming out without learning something about holistic, um, something holistic. So she decided she wanted it to be aromatherapy and she wanted it to be hands on. And she wanted somebody who really understood the alternative and complementary world who could come in and teach her medical students about you know, client handling skills and people. And so I went in um, and, you know, I really was the token touchy-feely person um, <laughs> on, the, uh, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the whole team. But actually, I really loved it. And I ended up doing so much in terms of, um, you know, taking care of the students. And I taught numerous things, you know, through, through my 11 years there and carved out my own niche, basically, which um, I meet the students today and I'm so grateful because I was learning and I was on a journey and it was utterly terrifying for me in the beginning but you know we kind of created this and when I meet past students today they still remember and I think well you know that's fantastic because I may not have come at it like you know all of the other academics in the team but yes, I really wanted them to sort of take something away in terms of the human connection because they're going out to be practitioners, working with people. And so I was just able to share a little bit, you know, of me with with those students in those years. What I love there, though, is just something that just jumps out, which was so counterintuitive to what people try to do, which is yes. uh, being universally guided by the next step. Mm. Just allow the next step to take you rather than the trap that many of us fall into, which is I need to see the entire path. I have to see start to finish before I take this journey on. Whereas Mel's story there is fascinating because she's allowed each path to just open up as she's taken it. And in this conversation, we will discover what that was hopefully start to finish and exciting bits in between. And what's incredible about the two of you, because I know both your stories, I want to come back to Rob so we can expand maybe from the start from you, is both of you have had that almost that natural inner compass that's driven you to the point you're at today just knowing your different stories and, I, and to some extent almost Harminder you and I have had the same thing in, in the journey that we're on and I actually have a personal belief that the current global situation is giving everybody a chance to do that I think it's a massive reset button for a lot of people because we're being forced into a situation that most people never have which is a complete stop everything reflect be present in the moment and it's how we choose to take that moment i think it's going to guide us forward i rather like the 
idea of nature leaving its calling card. I, I put that in the cover of last week's newsletter and got one lady who came back on Facebook and said that it was an outrageous Beautiful. thing to say. But because <laughs> we, we, you know, sometimes people only see things from a, a human perspective. Yes. And, um, where I come from is totally, I, I come from a biological perspective i'm looking at the big picture i'm looking at evolution i'm looking at processes and you know you could just as easily say that the arrival of this coronavirus is incredibly timely it is reminding people that they need to take a pause they yes. need to rethink we've had a a very public explanation of the climate change emergency that we're in and yet people barely lift a finger the minute the human being, one species that's actually causing all the problems on our planet, yeah. is under threat from something that's roughly as hazardous as, you know, common and garden influenza, the world stops. Yeah. And I think, you know, while that in itself is deeply ironic, it's also there are some many, many positive things that are happening. The the degree of connection, the the support that communities are giving each other, the time that the people are taking out to rethink their lives and how they respond to each other. Um, and, you know, I, I think we will, as you were saying to your 11-year-old, your Ro, I say the same to my my six children, that it's a very similar kind of scenario, that, that we will look back at this time and life will never quite be the same. The landscape has changed yeah. now, right under our feet. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so there's so much value I know you wanted to add today. Just briefly, Rob, your journey. I mean, take us back from start to finish. What's what's brought you to this point, In including uh, the six children? Because I just jumped out. And then, and then may, maybe we can switch over to Mel to add to what she was sharing with us there as well. Just take yeah. us back. It's okay. He, he used my quota of children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, let, let me just take a couple of snapshots. Growing up in East Africa in the middle of a guerrilla war or, or actually moving my parents were in the Mau Mau war in Kenya but then we moved across to West Africa where there was a guerrilla war between local tribes you know seeing bullets flying over your head and not understanding as a white person there the conflicts that were going on but being incredibly strongly connected with the natural environment there, with the animals. We had, we grew up with about 30 different animals in our house. I then came to the UK for my education, left for Australia, and very quickly um, connected with Aboriginal communities, with Indigenous communities. That really set the next 10 years of my life on a track um, because I was in regular communication with the elders. I had a, a very good ecology degree from the UK and they recognized, there weren't many people in Australia at that time who had ecology degrees, that these white fellas are really screwing up, you know, the land. They do not mm -hmm. understand, you know, let alone land rights, let alone how to respect the land and not just treat it as a, as a resource. So I, I then became very involved with a, an NGO for the entire sort of 12 years I was there, called the Total Environment Centre. We basically, you know, were involved in protecting wilderness areas. We were very involved with chemicals in the environment. We, you know, we were able to get some significant size grants. We basically 
helped ban, we were primarily responsible for the banning of multiple pesticides that were causing major environmental problems, both in agriculture and in urban areas. I then wrote a book about it that was um, had the cover, you know, painted by a well-known Aboriginal artist, and it was written for Aboriginal people. And I, I then felt I needed to go back and do the master's degree that I was meant to have done, you know, 11 years earlier, that I, I ended up having this huge decade-long diversion in Australia. So, <laughs> what was the name of the book, Rob, just out of interest? It, it was called Building Out Termites. And, and can, um, can people yeah, still get that if they want to? You know, it, it's it's turned into something of a, um, a textbook um, because it, it was a complete game-changer. In fact, they built... This was related to one part of my work, which was the fact that chemical companies were applying very um, persistent nasty organochlorines that were building up in people people's bodies and causing all told health problems and they were spraying them under the houses every year and we you know were very aware that these compounds could have a persistence of 30 40 years on a single application so why on earth were they spraying them every year we then started measuring with our friends at Sydney University who, you know, one of the, um, Professor John Pollock, who was a dear friend and mentor, um, would do all the analyses for us. And we would take samples and we discovered that there were scary levels of these compounds in houses and pregnant women were not being told about it. And there was a whole growing communities of people who were developing sensitization, chemical sensitization from these compounds. And um, essentially, we, we used science and campaigning together and basically um, were able to get rid of those those chemicals Amazing. in the process once you do that you have to find ways of coming up with a solution right and, and the solution was about not using chemicals at all um, and essentially adapting your constructions your buildings to the presence of the termites hence the name building out termites that's called right. a manual socially environmentally responsible um, control yeah, so so once I'd done that, and then many of the concepts that we had developed over a decade were then put into an Australian standard, so the building industry was changed, I wanted to go back to um, academia. I did my master's degree, I, was, um, I got a distinction for that back at Imperial College, um, and then went back to Australia armed with this um, very good master's degree, only to get a request by Imperial saying, Rob, we'd love you to come back and do a PhD. I said, guys, um, I've, I've got three kids. I, I can't do a PhD. You know, I need to get paid. I've got a family to run. I can't do it on a studentship. They said, no, 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 we'll give you a postdoc contract. We really want you. So um, I, I then did my PhD in record time. Um, I actually completed my PhD in just over two years. Oh my gosh. That's and, um, so, put, so put that into context for me. What, what's a, if that's record time, what's a typical PhD? How long does that take? It's normally about three to four years. Yeah. Um, wow. and, and in fact, there'd only been one person who'd done it in that time before. And it was partially because I had a, a whole year of, um, of field work in Malaysia scheduled. And um, the head of my group said, Rob, you know that you could, you have enough data, you've been so productive, you could right. submit before you go. So I did, and I got my PhD, and I then went out to Malaysia. And then 
essentially went into seven years of postdoc, you know, hence the papers. But um, at that point, um, you know, things were getting very interesting. I was doing a lot of work, increasingly moving the science into um, areas that would really make a difference. So we were dealing with the the organic cotton system in Uzbekistan behind the that was the fourth biggest cotton producing area in the world, produces most of the cotton for, for Russia. And the agrochemical companies wanted to come in and just get rid of all the organic systems that none of us knew even existed because it was all behind the Iron Curtain. And um, we ended up doing three seasons of work to understand the biological mechanisms that were going on um, to demonstrate that actually you just needed to do the biological control, the non-chemical control naturally. You need to do what the original Russian scientists had tried to do before they lost the resources when um, Uzbekistan became independent, when the Soviet Union broke down in 1991. Um, I was also doing a lot of work in, in Kenya and Zimbabwe, where Mel um, spent most of her, her childhood. And um, again, dealing with smallholder farmers and trying to get them off the pesticide treadmill in, in sustainable agriculture. And at that point, I got offered a permanent position at Imperial. And it was really that juxtaposition. A dear friend of mine is still one of my closest friends, gave me the courage when he heard my frustration that if I became you know, a full-time academic there, I would have to shrink down some of this sort of game-changing, world-changing right. um, consultancy work I was doing. And I felt like my the blinkers were coming around my, mm. my vision. So I really set up ANH as the sort of the environment, my work environment. And um, we called an alliance that so could be an alliance of like-minded people and okay. organizations to do the rest of my life's work. And um, that's why it still has an academic element, but it's got a campaign element, it's got an educational element, it's got a, a, a change element, and it's really, and, and that's why Mel has not left us since she joined us back in 2005. <laughs> Amazing, and, and for those listeners at home, the, the A&H part, we'll ask Rob and Mel the question for that in a moment. So, Ro, do we want to get Mel's background? Yeah, I mean, I think what's nice is you've brought Mel in there. Mel, just bring us up to speed your journey so that we can kind of understand that. It's good for the listeners because there's so much information going to follow. It's nice to see the both of you and how you got to the same point. So, um, I guess my journey started in Malaysia, actually. So, I was uh, I was born in Kuala Lumpur and um, where my mum my was born in Singapore and my mum's family had always um, lived in Malaysia. And although my dad was British but had been sort of brought up in South Africa, the minute he graduated um, as a as a chartered accountant, he saw a sign saying accountants wanted in Kuala Lumpur and he got in a boat and headed over there. And um, and then, you know, he met my mum and that's how we kind of landed up out there. But my mum was determined that um, I wasn't going to go to boarding school the way she had. Um, and so they ended up leaving when I was um, a fairly small child and they were heading back to South Africa um, where they were going to go and set up in Johannesburg. But unfortunately, in the time that my dad had been away, apartheid had sprung up. And although um, if people see my if people see me or they see my picture, I look um, I look fairly European. But I do have um, 
some Asian um, history in me and my mum's family are Eurasian, even though my mum had a throwback to the Scottish heritage mm. and she was very pale skinned and green eyed. Um, we realised that none of her family would ever be able to come and visit us. So we landed up um, going up to Rhodesia, or they did at that stage, just to take a holiday and think, well, what are we going to do now? Because our entire belongings are on the ship on the way to South Africa and we can't stay there. And that's how I landed up in Zimbabwe, because they, you know, was Rhodesia back then. Um, we're talking a long time ago now. It <laughs> um, was the breadbasket of Africa, really. And it was absolutely beautiful before war broke out. And so we decided that we were going to stay there. And of course, war broke out um, about two years after we had um, we'd settled. So I actually grew up um, as a child all the way through the, the Rhodesian War. You know, a bit like Rob, we, we both in Africa experienced um, what wartime Africa is like. And I just, um, I, I think my international background has, uh, has given me a very different feel of the world because the world's always felt quite small to me. And I always knew that I was going to end up leaving, that um, it wasn't, you know, Zimbabwe mm. wasn't going to be it for me. So as soon as I could, I mean, I was 20 when I came over to the UK and we still had sanctions. And I arrived in the UK knowing no one. I had 300 pounds to my name. And and also, and this is where I'll mention that if um, if people are wondering that my voice is sounding a bit croaky, um, I've, I had vocal surgery um, at the, in early February and um, I'm recovering from that at the moment. And that actually, when if I, if I land up talking a bit more about myself, um, it actually harks back to um, the reason why I do what I do, basically. But um, back in, when I came to the UK in 1987, um, I had just had a, a total thyroidectomy as a result of an autoimmune disease. And mm. they had they had paralyzed a vocal cord in that surgery. Oh and gosh. so and so arriving in the UK with no money and not knowing anyone, I also couldn't speak either. But I was just driven and I just knew that I had to get over here. And um, I'm very, very lucky that I've always um, had a British passport. So the world has really been my oyster. And, and that's how I landed up over here. But my, um, my whole journey has really been driven by, you know, my experiences. And I had a great deal of ill health as a child. And so I think, um, you know, I, I, I came to do something very important. And I realized at that very young age at 20, at that crossroads, that um, we can make life whatever we choose it to be. I, I did very much at that point, um, at one very dark moment, I did very much want to end it all. And I then chose to make a change and um, to go my own way. And to basically, I realized that medicine um, could take me no further. And it was going to be down to me and me alone. And so that's Mel, what's... can I just jump in? Yes, sure. I, I want to jump in because, I mean, our, we do have a real mixed group of listeners. We have those that are the younger group that tends to maybe want to have a listen to Harminda and then those that are older that listen to me. For the younger ones, just, just briefly, what kept you on that point? Because there will be people here that are sitting on the edge of that, contemplating that, maybe self-harm or not, you know, maybe disillusioned. What 
what gave yeah, well, you that vision? Well, actually, well, you're, you're absolutely right, because in the last couple of days after we've done a, a live recently based on what's happening at the moment, I've had a couple of people message me saying I am in actually in a dark place. And these are people who are 25, 26, 27 years old. So, you know, not in another universe that was Mel at that time. So I think just to just to add to your question, that is very real at the moment. So, Mel, I think what Rose is going to ask is what helped or what happened in that moment to yeah. take you from that dark place into what you've explained in terms of actually I need to do this for myself? So what I didn't understand back then that I can see so clearly now about what happened to me in that moment is that wherever we land up in that really dark place, it is absolutely incredible because actually the light is all around you. Mm. And we, we may feel that there is no light around us at all mm. and that we're completely at the depths of despair. Mm. And, 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 and honestly, I mean, I, I'd had a nervous breakdown. I then was told that there was no further hope in terms of what the medical profession were going to do. And they kind of left me hanging in the middle of nowhere with, with no ability to speak either. And, and I just thought that there was absolutely nothing more I could do in life. But there was, um, there is always a tiny spark somewhere and you need to, you need to search to find that. And you need to just take that next step. And so my decision just in that moment was I have no idea what else to do, but I know that I want to take this next step. And if you can stay open in that moment, honestly, life and the universe mm. will smooth your path for you. But what happens when we contract and we go into that very dark place is that we, we lower our vibrations. So our entire vibrational resonance falls out of sync with the resonance of the earth that we stand on and we live on. And we then fall out of sync with the people all around us. And that makes us feel incredibly alone, incredibly isolated, and then feeling like there is actually no reason to carry on living. And what we really need to do in that moment is find one tiny thing in your life that you can appreciate. It might be, you know, it might be your your dog or your cat. It might be the spring bud that you can see coming on the on the plant outside. Whatever it is, it might be the ray of sunshine. Find something that you can appreciate and spend a few moments in appreciation. Because the most incredible thing about the, the feeling of appreciation is that it that feeling is in, in the same resonance as the resonance of our of our yeah. mother earth, of our yeah. planet earth. Yeah. And I'm sure Ro, you talked about this a lot, but yeah. what, what happened to me as I crossed the car park that day when I made that decision, I just thought I, I chose to expand. And I chose to and I chose to just look outwards instead of in my darkness. And then everything rolled from there. And what people don't always realize is that's when the alignment happens, because anyone outside you vibrationally that tunes into that, they're drawn to you. Whereas if you go into the dark place, you almost repel anything that's got light because you're getting darker and darker. Uh, So that shift in you, I'm assuming you, you started to notice things start to happen around you. Yeah, I, I the started path revealed itself. The path revealed and the path revealed that it was taking me to England and right. it was taking me and and you know everyone says, Oh my god, you must have been so brave. But the thing is is that honestly for me it was life and death. You know, I just I could see I was quite blinkered. I was in still in a great deal of anxiety. Um I still had, you know, a depression and you know, mental health issues going on. I was 
but but I just I had something I could focus on and that just sort of pulled me to the next step and the next step and the next step so I think you know we are we are tribe animals I mean you know that that's why you've created a tribe and when we isolate ourselves in our own emotions um, we we actually create so much distress. It does make us want to leave. And it brings up all of that fear of separation that we have when we actually come into this world and we leave spirit and we leave our homeland. That separation, that wound of separation is the thing that we fear the most. But actually, if we realize that we're never separate, we've always got this alignment with the earth and the people around us. It allows you to unravel from the contracted place yeah. and um, open to allow things back into your life again. And this, I mean, obviously, this is a wisdom of a woman many years down the line. How, so what were the steps then that got you to this place now? What brought you and Rob together? Were you connected? And then the journey into A&H, what, what were those steps then? So for, for me at that time, even though I was still so ill, um, I had a... I had a gut instinct that um, I had to heal my spirit and my heart before I could heal my body. And I know people do people do things very differently. With with my clients, I, I I'm really keen that they follow their own instinct, and that I I can help guide them. So I actually went fully down a spiritual path initially, mm. which is, and I spent most of my twenties in that path and not really in life as we know it. But um, I did it. I got a lot of understanding and um, and I healed a huge amount of my, my soul, basically, in order to then come and do the healing work um, in right. the physical. And it was, it was not long after all of that when my friend said to me, um, she said, uh, oh, we were at a meeting on a Sunday morning. And she said, you know, there's another meeting going on all about water. I think we should go to it. And I said, oh, it's Sunday. I've done one meeting. I want to go home. And um, she said, no, 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 we've, we've got to go to this meeting. So I said, okay, okay. So we went to this meeting. And um, the, the man who was arranging it just happened to come to me in the audience and say, at a certain time, when the speaker calls for it, can you take this glass of water on stage? And I was like, yeah, sure. Well, the speaker happened to be Rob. And... Um, <laughs> As soon as Rob walked into the room and stood on the stage, I looked at my friend and I said, oh, I said, I'm going to know that man. And um, <laughs> and, it, and that was it, basically. I took the glass of water to him on stage and um, we didn't really communicate that day. But I, when we talked afterwards, he kind of had an awareness of me in the room as well. And then, and then the, the man who put the meeting together ended up putting us together as consultants on a project and we got to be friends and we so we've known each other um almost 20 years now amazing <laughs> and and that that comes across even just the way you are as people there's this balance between the two of you there's no sometimes you see people and there's a bit of an ego battle going on but there's just this lovely flow uh, i see certainly when i'm around you and i think well, the listeners well, i i try i try to ask her to um to work with me while i was taking a major case through the european court of justice okay taking the government to court and because we do a lot of legal stuff as well to try and sort out justice issues around natural health and mel was a great follower i think you'll find from mel that even from those days, she is still paying a monthly donation to <laughs> ANH. 
I am. I am. That commitment. You're one of the founding (laughs) contributors. When um, I I knew that she had a skill set that could be very, very valuable to our mission. And um, I had one problem, is that I didn't really have any money to pay her. So when she eventually came on three years later, she took the reins of, you know, fundraising and everything else. And strangely enough, we've managed to put the food on the table for the last 18 years. Amazing. <laughs> Incredible. I think that leads nicely into the mission, row and for us to talk about A&H. Are we good to go there? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's almost a lovely lead into that. Yeah. So Alliance of Natural Health International, I believe founded by Rob. So let me just start by reading out the mission statement for the listeners. So A&H's International's mission is to promote and protect our right to sustainable natural health around the world by working with nature, not against it, and using the tools of good science and good law. And then there's another part which goes into we engage in campaigns, activism, research and education across a wide range of fields relating to natural approaches to health and care, including freedom of choice in healthcare healthy eating and lifestyles, the interpretation and development of evidence, the effects of technology, for example, genetic modification or electromagnetic field on health and the environment, and the use of foods, herbal and other natural products in the management of our health and resilience. So Rob or Mel either want to jump on this first, just to expand on that. And possibly, you know, you spoke about some legal things that you take into court and if you can just include potentially any challenge challenge that you overcame as part of the journey to create A&H International and for me personally what jumped out to me was just wanting to understand what is good science and what is good law what does that what does that actually mean well the look the starting point is really understanding that in a highly technological society we have forgotten these incredibly sophisticated natural systems on which we rely, whether it's the way the the planet works, the climate works, we see all sorts of problems there through our interference, but also how the human body works or um, the magic that is in producing the food that we rely on or the magic involved in the way in which the sunshine is essential as the energy source for the whole planet or our interaction with the microbes on which we're entirely dependent on. Um, and it's quite ironic we should be see mm. the world stop because of one of them. So, you know, we've kind of really lost our way in terms of understanding the interdependence and the systems that interact with one another to create life, to turn stardust into this extraordinary package of life that we see on this little rock that's spinning around the sun in our solar system. And essentially, we use this idea that um, science is about progress, which is about technology. And there's the first problem in terms of that rationale. Mm -hmm. Why should science, which is just a way of looking at things, only be involved in technology? And of course, one, one of the problems is we confuse science with the business model, the business model that we rely on on our planet. And that business model is about creating new products, new technologies that consumers buy, that puts the oil in the machine that runs society, the very thing that's currently 
being shut down for a while. Yeah. And so we, we, we're still, we got a bunch of people coming back to COVID-19. We got a bunch of people who've been taught to believe that they can't do anything until an antiviral drug or a vaccine comes along. Right. Um, nowhere in the newspapers are we seeing the fact that um, 99% of the time, the human immune system is doing a phenomenal job. And why don't we look at what happens in immune-compromised people who are more vulnerable? Why don't we see if we can provide resources or environments for those people to allow this incredibly sophisticated system to work better? So, you know, the, I, I keep coming back to the present, but going back to the the starting point with ANH, it was the recognition that, you know, science isn't bad. Science doesn't automatically mean you have to create new drugs if you're in medicine or you've got to create new agrochemicals if you're in agriculture. Science allows us to look at anything that we want to look at um, to solve problems in a rational manner. And the same thing applies to, to, to law. Law is a great system. It is, it is a fundamental tenet of so-called civilized societies. And yet, so many ways in which the law gets used prefers corporations, for example, that are doing a lot of damage to the planet or to the less privileged members of society. And it's preferring Donald Trump and his friends, dare I say it. <laughs> and somehow we, you know, we mustn't give up on this legal system because it, it does allow us to, to ensure that justice prevails but let's use it properly. So the, the very issue that took me out of my lab at Imperial made me question whether I should continue my life as an academic was the fact that there was a bunch of natural sources of nutrients that occur in foods that were going to be banned by an EU directive. Right. And, and that's the issue that we ended up challenging the UK government on because they were implementing EU law we then got an expedited reference to the European Court of Justice and sorted out the problem with a bunch of 13 very intelligent lawyers there who said, guys, there's something wrong here. You can't just ban these natural sources. They are outside the realms of this EU food supplement directive list. And, and they sorted it out without having to abolish the directive so rob um, just to jump in um, I'll, I'll, just to simplify this for a listener then what what we're talking about here is these are natural food sources that can help the body that we're talking to or we're looking to be banned that's what we're talking correct about. and we're, we're today we're involved in a very similar problem we haven't gone legal yet but we're working with one of the biggest law firms in, in the uk um and it's completely undercovers but we're working very much on the cbd issue on cannabidiol which is right. you know the fastest growth area in natural health supplements that, that any of us have seen over the last couple of decades i'm and loving yet, the teas by the way i have it regularly yeah great so <laughs> so but, but governments are, are turning around and coming up with all this uh, these various excuses to have it all pulled off the market and and only allow the biggest corporations to be able to get through the regulatory door. So they set an obstacle course that's tricky for any of the small players. And so it's, it's, it's the big it's the big farm minefield, isn't it? It's like how do we control 
anything natural in such a way that so going back to the philosophy what you talked about is as a culture globally we have become disempowered and we're almost reliant on being told what we need to do in order to heal ourselves that's really in simple terms what you're saying this is the well, challenge you've got it. Right COVID, COVID-19 I mean that, right. that's that's the you know I think if I could put it in the simplest possible terms what we do at ANH is help people to, to connect or join the dots and um, take responsibility as well. Exactly. That's, that's my, when I look through the website, it's like this. And for those of you listening, if you've got kids, go with some great stuff for children there as well. It's giving people back the power to say, OK, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know I could do this. I thought I had to take this tablet. Actually, no, there's other things you can do. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, and, and looking at, at COVID-19, you know, the fact that so many people um, recover at the moment. We've got a, a figure of as of today. I'm looking at today's data: 123,322 percent uh, people. Sorry, 84% um, of, of cases we've seen full recovery. And you know that's been the immune system. That very process of them becoming sick and ill, having fever and coughing, is the immune response. Mm. Even the people that die it is the immune response that is over-responding. And this is to be expected at the early stage of a, a new virus that has basically arrived and found its way to access the human being. And we will see an over-response. Within a year or two, it'll become part of the circulating viruses that we're all exposed to. Wow, um, okay, so that's- Nature that's, will resume. That's fascinating. And in fact, <laughs> I mean, this is such a massive subject. You wrote, and for those of you listening, I, th I think the best thing to do is to go and have a look on the ANH website and read the blog that was written just recently. And I'm not, I'm, I was going to jump into that, but actually, the immune system, I think, is the subject that we really need to shift the focus to as we go through, because a lot of people listening to this may want some practical tools. So, for anyone listening tonight, and and whenever you listen to this over the coming weeks go and read the blog that was written because there's there's some really great steps in there that are presented and i think the terminology was was it citizen empowerment i think is the word that was used yeah um, you know if if you get told top down i mean let, let's remember a couple of things democracy has been put on the back burner so we have not had a chance as citizens to interact with our parliaments that we elect in so-called democratic societies to see this is the right way of, of doing it, you right. know, which, which is why they have to come up with these various, you know, furlough packages to try and give us some money. So if you can't actually get to work, you get some cash and one day you're going to have to pay for that. Society is going to have to pay for it. So if you're Correct. a young person, you know, you are essentially being, you're not being, you haven't been asked if you, like this particular way of going about it, but you run the risk of spending the first few years of your employment essentially digging yourself out of a hole um, right. that you never really asked to be put in in the first place. Yeah. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, we're not being told on a regular basis. It's very, very difficult to get detailed information about individual cases, the exact ages, the exact underlying right. conditions that those people have. But as Neil Ferguson, Professor Neil Ferguson from my um, ex-university Imperial College um, said this morning on Radio 4, um, when he was asked that same question, he doesn't even have the data. And he said, well, 
you know, from what we can gather, about two thirds of the mortalities are people who were very close to death anyway, and were going to die anyway, pretty mm. soon. And that, I mean, I think that's been an eye opener for a lot of people. And, and this keeps, to me, every time I hear it, I just keep, my unconscious brain says immune system. And this is what we're talking to our kids about is making sure, and, and you know, this is a passion of ours anyway, but the conversation in the house is keeping the immune system strong. That, and so that if I've got a five-year-old, I've got quite as many as you, Rob, but five and an 11-year-old, <laughs> but that's, I want them to have that, that real cut, it's the culture of the house work on your immune system and then it gives you a chance to to, to resist things that come at you and I, I, if we can talk into that space it would be great i, I mean look for, so for, for those who are listening go read the blog because i'm conscious of mel and rob's time as well and i know harms has got some other questions he wants to pick up can you talk to us both about talk to us about the immune system i think that's a great place what you know what reduces it what depletes it what really hammers the immune system and then maybe we can switch to what empowers it mel uh, should, should we do a one I, two here shall i shall i just give a very quick outline and then and then go over to you on this yes, yes and, on, right. and on that note can i just say can i can i ask mel's Mel has got some some work she's been doing on fear and and, and without Mel maybe realizing it's a subject that I've been talking to quite a bit on Facebook in, in my lives. Mel, please, could you, whilst we're in this space, talk about that? Because I 100 percent agree with you that that is a major issue at the moment as well, affecting people. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, that's great. Well, that's fine, Rob. You go for it and then I'll, I'll jump yeah, in. Perfect. So so look, the, the, the important thing is that if the, the body is is has had this tug of war between microbes, ones that can cause harm since the, the, the day we were created. It's always been there. When you get a so-called zoonotic, that's a, a microbe that has jumped from an animal to adapt to enter the human body, it, it gets a bit more lively early on because the human immune system is basically very, very good at getting rid of um, bugs that can threaten it. But Ultimately, what happens in this relationship between the bug, in this case the virus, and the host, in this case the human, is that they adjust to each other. And the reality, this is the bit that's not well appreciated, is actually it's both of them benefit. If you look from a, a, you know, a systems biology or an evolutionary biology point of view, there's a lot of science on this, that actually it is part of the process by which we actually strengthen our resilience. And there are benefits for the pathogen and their benefits for the host. Early on, and we're at that very early stage, it's all a bit messy. And that, that, that's why people are, are, are in despair at the moment. But in essence, the, the initial barrier when this pathogen, say someone coughs and you have airborne droplets or they've touched a hard surface where the virus may be viable for, you know, a day or two or three um, in certain circumstances, particularly away from sunlight. Um, imagine a banister going down into a, a tube, for example. Mm. Uh, you touch that. You then make contact with your mucous membranes, the, the, the pink wet bits in your mouth, in your nose, in your eyes. Um, and that's how it gains access. So rule number one, try and avoid touching your face. I mean, we're, we're doing this at home with the kids. You know. <laughs> Guys, don't touch your face. Learn not to do it because it's really going to be very, very helpful for you. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is you you tell something 
or, or someone listens to a, a nasty bit of news, um, particularly on COVID-19 right now, because people are um, absolutely stuck on the news, which is, I think Mel will explain, is, is not necessarily a great thing to do. And the first thing they do is put their hands in their mouth. Um, yes. Or they, they rub their eyes. True. And that's how the virus goes in. So these wet bits, these, these mucous membranes, do have chemicals that make it harder for viruses to enter the body. Now, you've seen all those lovely pictures of the, of the SARS-CoVirus-2, the particular virus that causes COVID-19, and um, you'll see those spike proteins, those beautiful spike proteins that come off. At the very end of that is basically a system that can determine whether the host is the right host to penetrate. Remember, a virus is not really a whole organism. It's, it's a virion that carries either DNA, genetic material, or RNA, the replication material that we use um, to create more cells. And these guys contain RNA, and they need to know whether they can get that RNA into a host and then hijack the RNA replication machinery of the host, of the human. And so these spike proteins determine via the by particular ACE2 inhibitors, which are the very angiotensin inhibitors um, that, that, that are used for to manage heart disease, for example. So these ACE2 um, receptors bind with the spike proteins if they're there. And of course, we have a lot of them in our airways, right. then, then they can get in. Now, if you've got a lot of um, high expression of, of these ACE2 receptors, you, they are more likely to go in. If you've got low expression, they're less likely. So this is one of the reasons that kids are more resistant than adults. And it's also why if you've got a, a tendency towards heart disease, you're going you're gonna to have more. If you're on ACE inhibitors, the drugs, you know, one of the important categories of drugs that are given to people with heart disease, you're going to have more still. So again, very important information when you look at the older people who are getting very severe symptoms from COVID-19 and are dying, what we're starting to see creeping out there is a lot of them have heart disease, metabolic syndrome, and a lot of them are on ACE inhibitors that are accelerating the, the uh, amount of ACE2 that is being expressed. Now, once they're in the body, they hijack the, the RNA replication machinery and you get new viruses being produced and that's when the viral load starts going up. Now, once that starts happening, not only do the non-specialized white blood cells have a really good go at trying to stop them getting any further, um, you know, and that may be something that also protects children because they have a very, very strong innate um, immune response. That's the immune response we're born with that, that right. you know, keeps out bugs. What they haven't got, what kids don't have, is a highly developed cell-mediated or cellular or, or adaptive immune response, which is the one that we learn as we get older. Okay. And um, the adults have, have you know, learned how to adapt to this. This is exactly the system that we use um, you know, to develop immunity, whether it's from natural infections or from vaccines. You get exposed to the, the antigen, your you get left with, with T cells and B cells that go after it. The B cells in the adaptive immune system um, basically release antibodies that tag the 
you know, the virus says the T cells go after that and nail them, either successfully or not successfully. And um, memory T cells get retained. Now, we don't know how long these are retained um, after infection, but they are, they explain the fact that we know there will be immunity probably for at least several months after infection. So that's clarify kind of some system. So is it is this like a, a bell curve? Is there two ends of the bell where if you're really because my brain's trying to understand if we've got an adaptive immune system, is there an argument to say that the older you get, then you've developed more immunity? Whereas you've got you've yeah, got the, the you've, the you've got the innate innate yeah. would you call it the innate immune system at the at the younger generation then you've got the sort of 30 40 50 year olds is there is there a, a range where that immune system then so, depletes again so, so what what happens with the adaptive immune system it's it's programmed to very very specific antigens these are the chemical the marker compounds that are associated with the particular pathogen so it might be a tiny part of you know molecules that are associated with the pathogen, not the whole thing. And so what it does is remember to nail using very sophisticated, you know, effective T cells in the case of uh, um, this particular new coronavirus. And, and let's remember that coronaviruses aren't always that nasty. 20% of all common colds are actually caused by a type of coronavirus. Right. But um, so, um, you know, the, these effector cells will, will, will go after the either the virus particles themselves or the cells within them and then try and nail them. So es essentially, once you have antibodies for that particular virus, the system will work and you won't even know about it. So we, we call people like that immune because they don't have a massive flare up. If you haven't been exposed to it, the communication chemicals that we call cytokines that essentially the innate part of our immune system um, starts to release to help the adaptive immune system to learn what it needs to do. And that, that there's a delay there. There's a delay of a few days starts to come on song. But that those cytokines can create what is called a cytokine storm. They can essentially over respond because they go, hell, we need to get on top of this thing. Let's go crazy. And that whole process is a del delicate balancing act between either trying to nail the infection and, and then not creating too much collateral damage to, to tissues. And of course, it's the cytokine storm and all the free radicals that are associated with it that when it occurs deep in your lungs, in the little alveoli sacs where, where most of the um, oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange occurs, that's when you can do damage. That's when the fibrosis comes in. Um, that's when your lungs fill up with fluid and you can't breathe and you get organ failure and you pass away. So, um, and that's really what the respirators are all about. That's why the governments are so crying out to have more, sorry, ventilators, I mean. Yeah. Uh, respirators aren't particularly useful. Ventilators are very useful. So I was going to say there, so that's fascinating. And I've got a whole bunch of notes in the background. So off the back of that, something you mentioned was we have a potential to have an immune system and, and please correct me if I'm phrasing this wrong, but for about seven months, we are then immune or do we expect us to be immune thereafter if we've, we, if we've caught it? Hans, we, we don't, so far we, we've got three months worth of experience on this thing. Um, mm -hmm. So, so we don't know. Um, we don't have antibody tests um, being dished out um, left, right and center yet in the next month. 
they will be commercially available. They'll be given to frontline health workers. They will also be available, say, in the UK. Um, Boots and Amazon are going to be selling them. Um, for a small fee, you can, you can do a, a pinprick test and determine if you have antibodies for it. If you do, um, you're going to be immune. If you test yourself six months down the line or a year down the line, you can do the same test and you will determine if you're still still have immunity and we just don't know because it is a novel coronavirus understood wow okay so i'm just i'm thinking out loud here it, can we take the jigsaw pieces which lots of scientific ones can we give them some some big jigsaw pieces for the people that are listening to something simple to say right these are the Abs- things absolutely we'll, you know. <laughs> well let me let me just first say that you know um We have lived, you know, human beings have been walking the earth for about um, 200,000 years in in our physical and genetic form that we're in now. And the thing that's enabled us to get this far is our immune system. So it's actually a pretty, it's a pretty um, amazing piece of kit. And um, let's not um, forget that it's, it plays such a central role in our, in our protection. And it does it all below the level of our, of our consciousness. So suddenly it's been taken out and forced, everyone's forcing themselves to have to look at the immune system and suddenly it's becoming this whole scary thing that, you know, everyone's thinking is going to fail on them. But um, what I'd really like to say is that there is a lot you can do to help your immune system to function the way that it's built. So Rob's already explained that you've got your innate immune system, which is your first line defense, and then you've got your adaptive immune system. And um, in order to have that kind of flexibility that enables us to rise to a challenge, we really need to work on our psychological, metabolic, hormonal and immunological flexibility. All of those things in concert together um, give give us the kind of resilience to enable us to meet challenge. So that actually means that it's the other things that you do in your life, it's the food that you eat, it's the quality of the sleep that you have and the amount of sleep you have. Hmm. It's um, the nutrients that you kind of take in if you're going to give yourself some concentrated sources of nutrients in the form of food supplements. If you're going to be juicing, if you're going to be taking in extra herbs, it's the activity that you take. And so much, um, it's also to do with the thoughts that you're going to think. You know, for your more mature listeners, they may remember um, a very well-known book that was out in the early 80s called um, You Can't Afford the Luxury of a Negative Thought. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I mean, really, you know, that comes back to me time and time again. And, you know, in order to really understand why you can't afford to go down that route is because anything that activates the, the sort of sympathetic adrenal medulla system in your body is going to affect your immune system because right. it is, it's going to affect your entire hormonal axis. So the minute you put yourself into an anxious or a fearful place, your body is already putting you into fight and flight. And that is already putting your immune system on high red alert. Because when we had to run from a saber-toothed tiger, we had to be ready to do that in that moment. But of course, all of our stresses and our fears and our challenges in those days, they tended to be resolved fairly swiftly. Mm. Either you survived or you didn't. These days, our stresses are largely 
um, emotional rather than, you know, physical in the same way that they used to be. And, and, and constant and, con and constant, constant. Yeah. They don't turn off. So one of the reasons we've got this this huge problem, the burden with chronic disease is because the whole inflammatory cascade that is ignited when your immune system upregulates to meet a, a, a foe doesn't turn off. And it's that chronic upregulation that causes a problem. But that's a subject for another conversation. Right now, with the level of fear that the media is pumping out across the airwaves, people who are glued to their phones, their radios, the televisions are literally soaking up nothing but doom and gloom messages and nothing but fear. And I've been speaking to people who are literally paralyzed by fear and yeah. can't see and can't do anything. And that that is that is when fight and flight mode gets into freeze because the fear is actually so great that the body just shuts down. Now, when that happens, you are actually detracting from your innate immune system's ability to deal with any pathogen that comes your way. And so what you really need to be doing is trying to get yourself into a much calmer state so that you can keep your immune system um, sort of locked and loaded, ready for when it does maybe need to be released mm. so that it can do its job and come back again. Because otherwise, you have you set off this whole suite where you trigger, um, you, you know, your, your brain starts and then you, you trigger your uh, adrenals into releasing hormones, your HPA axis goes in, into full flight, and suddenly you've got the full chemical orchestra being released, and yet there's no pathogen. So it's kind of a, an, you know, it's a, it's a sterile inflammation that um, is very bad for the body to keep going. And if just, we, we, yeah, just on that note then, so, so for somebody listening to this, what can they be looking for to know they've hit that point where, where the stress levels have now lowered the immune system to a point where they're vulnerable? What telltale signs can they look for? Well, if for, for it to be chronic over a period of time to, to really, to really affect your immune system, it's going to have, be going over a period of weeks and months. But just if you find yourself daily in that space where you're you're finding it hard to you know to breathe because your chest is tight, your stomach's contracted, um, you're not sleeping um, as well as you should do, um, your brain is going round and round in circles. All you're focused on is negative, 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 and you're feeling that fear. You're feeling clammy. You know what it's like. You've got butterflies in your stomach. You're yeah. literally just feeling totally antsy all of the time. So, Mel, um, why, why I love this and why I think this is so important is because you said weeks and months there. If the media continue to pump out the same kind of news and our listeners or friends of listeners or whatever are inducing this fear because they're reading this news, then potentially they could end up in a situation where they are feeling the effects of that. Absolutely, because... Um, you know yourself when you've been through a stressful situation, it's exhausting. You've got yeah. no energy for anything else because all of your energy is going there. And and so what you know I've been trying to encourage people to do, definitely you have to keep abreast of what's happening, but try and just check in once a day. And you know, spend some time in connection. Do your mindfulness. Breathing is fantastic. So your your sympathetic nervous system is the one that's full on when when you're in fight and flight. 
your parasympathetic is kind of your rest and digest and that turns everything off. And you only have to do a minute to three minutes of a breathing exercise with your eyes closed to take yourself out of that sympathetic place and into parasympathetic. And this is all within our control every day. So if you find yourself flying into that stress place, do some breathing, you know. And and, just... and, and for the listeners, that doesn't mean... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that means I my one of my favourites for that is, um, is kind of clock. I, I call it clock breathing because you just want to breathe in slowly and deeply you know from 12 until 6 and then you breathe out from 6 until 12 and you just slow it right down and keep that continuous breathing going there's many many ways you can do this there's tons of things on the internet that you can have a look at for mindfulness and breathing techniques um, but it's just your breath is one of your most powerful tools to be able to bring balance back to your entire hormonal and immune systems because there is no difference between that that reaction that's happening when you feel fear and stress and that reaction that's happening when a pathogen comes um you know into your body it's your immune system that, that's rising to both and so Mel, facts, going back to so, sorry well and Mel, just going back to the the media and the news outlet is there something you can recommend to our listeners where where should they focus on getting the information from because this is something my community has really had a challenge with because they've been the bombarded the millennials have had a challenge with this because they're bombarded, you know, on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube is constant. I've not seen anything off my feed, which is un coronavirus related. So where should we be getting our information from in a small dose so that we're informed, but we can continue to empower our immune system in the way that you've described? Well, great I question, think, by the way, great question. Uh, so that's a, I know that's a, that's a great question because, um, my answer may not be that kind of um, that easy because I do believe that within each one of us, we all have a very well honed intuitive system. And even though many people don't like to listen to their intuition, it's not to say that they won't have an instinct of it somewhere. And I do think that when you read something, you're, you, you, haven't, you have a deep down gut instinct that lets you know mm whether you're actually reading something that is in resonance with you or not. Mm. And so a, the first point is, you know, try and stick with the sources where you feel that resonance and B, try and get a balance of evidence. So you, you absolutely have to keep abreast of what the authorities are saying because there's changes coming all the, all the time. Um, I, I'm obviously going to speak for our organization because I know that we've done 18 years of work where you don't get any knee-jerk emotional reactions from us. It's all yeah. based in science. There are many other organizations out there that um, are also um, able to speak lucidly and credibly that maybe, you know, are going to give a balanced approach that that tells you things that you aren't getting off the media. Do you, so, uh, Mel, do you, so you have a newsletter, is that correct? Can they, can they sign up? For the, does that have... Sure. Do you do yeah. updates? I mean, what, what's yeah, your current we, view we on? Yeah, we do a weekly free newsletter on the homepage. So anhinternational.org. Yeah. You can sign up for our uh, weekly free um, newsletter. And um, uh, what I would say at the moment is that I do know that the millennials and the, the, the younger crowd don't like to sign up for emails. I would <laughs> encourage you to do it at the moment because um, we do know 
that the powers that be uh, on the internet and on social media are downgrading all the information that isn't towing the party line. Yeah, and yeah. In any anything that's referring to natural medicine, for some reason, they do not want you to know that you can actually modulate your own immune system uh, by yeah. diet. By diet and lifestyle. You've got two people that totally support that philosophy as well. But <laughs> Harminda can back that from science science of, of social media and the stuff that you see in the background, correct, Harms? Yes, yeah, so through the digital marketing company, we know what we're allowed to advertise and what we're not allowed to advertise. And if we were to advertise something that you just mentioned, we would literally get blocked. And the severe case of that is having your advertising account closed down. So for those listening at home, I, I will put the website... Uh, international.org into the show notes go and subscribe to the newsletter go and find a different source of information versus what you're finding in the media in terms of social media really that's really just driven there to get your click once they've got your click they've got your data so they can re-advertise to you we know this you've heard this from me before so yeah. so that you know it's it's back to it's back to emails it feels like the dark ages i know but um, it is back to that because i mean i do know two very large natural health organizations in america which is mccola.com and um, green med info both of them are off social media altogether because they've been so blocked and so uh, so challenged and you need to actually sign up for their emails as well to to receive information so and yet there's uh, readily available adverts telling me i can go and buy a drug from the drugstore of uh, course and, and, and it's going to cure everything and, and and the crazy thing is as well i mean obviously all the problem with the hand sanitizers being sold out and they, they're shocking for your your skin and what you're actually absorbing as well but now they're trying to tell you that you can't make any at home because they don't work if you're using alcohol and aloe vera gel and essential oils and everything and <laughs> you know it's i mean anybody who knows anything about disinfectants knows that alcohol is pretty good at that <laughs> yeah so just staying on the theme of fear, is there anything else that we can help them with? So the, so the first thing is if there's that immediate reaction, breathing is obviously one of those things. And, and we know that that calms the system. Is there anything else on that front? I, yes, because um, the other part of fear, the one side of it is what it's doing to your immune system. The other side is what it's doing in your brain. And, um, you know, we've got sort of three parts of our brain. We've got our, our forebrain the midbrain and the hindbrain. Now, the forebrain is sort of behind your forehead. It's your higher executive function. It's your cognitive. It's where all your decision-making and your problem-solving, and it's the stuff that makes us, um, you know, uh, it makes us humans meant to be responsible. Your Which mid- some people are not quite using at the moment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it gets hijacked. It gets hijacked, doesn't it? It gets, it gets hijacked because the minute you've gone into fear, You've pushed yourself right back into your mm. lizard brain, in your hind brain, which is all about um, survival. And it's the primordial um, element that's actually helped you survive. But you can't make good decisions when you're stuck in that place. So it, it totally derails your ability to be empowered. And that's not a good thing because fearful citizens are also controlled citizens, easily Correct. controlled citizens. And we actually you know, in order to fulfill our destiny as free, you know, free will beings um, in this universe, able to co-create what are what we're here to actually achieve, we need to be empowered citizens to be able to do that. So fear 
is not your friend. It's a very low vibration. And the breathing and the other thing is I would say that visualizations, using your intent, I've got some of my clients using this time to create vision boards and to um, to actually be manifesting what they want for the rest of their lives and raising their vibration through dreaming about their own creations. Mm. On that note, actually, for the, anyone that's listening, if you've not heard of him, uh, there's a fantastic book, but I love the audio by Dr. Wayne Dyer, sadly passed away two or three years ago. But he wrote the book probably 10 years ago now. And the audio to that is incredible. But it just talks about the power of intention at every level of our life, not just here dealing with fear, but also redirecting yourself from an inner source. And he has always been one of those inspirational people that takes a higher level of thinking. So if anybody's not read that, it's a great, great book to, to read just on the back of what Mel's saying. It's, it's, it's a great book. And I would say, you know, so many people say to us, uh, you know, they, they, they look at the outputs on A&H and they look at what Rob and I achieve um, and they say, how do you do it? Yeah. But, ac- but actually, we're using a lot of intent. Yeah. And, and, and we're, you know, we're using this amazingly creative universe that we live in to be able to help us to move forwards. And but, but, but Mel, it's intent from a pure place without driven by fear, isn't it? I think that's an yes. important factor to make here. And it's also without, it's also driven without ego. Yes. So it comes from, it should actually come from that pure heart place. Yeah. And, you know, and your desires will lead you there. But not if your desires are about amassing material gain and all that kind of thing. I don't mean that, but I just mean, you know, we yeah. all have desires for what we want to achieve in this life. And I think that at this reconnection time that we've been given, let's look at it as a gift. Let's allow us to to actually breathe into it, reconnect with ourselves, or some people for the first time connect with themselves connect with the earth exactly exactly you know connect with 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 what you what you want connect with how we can all come together Mm. as a as a community to actually you know heal this planet and and move us forward there's a great phrase tony robbins said years ago and nothing has meaning apart from the meaning that you give it and i think we're in that moment in time where we can give this a different meaning and and as you're saying add a different intention behind it as well i love that well i I just wanted to now shift the focus slightly because i think that's incredible how if you allow fear to enter your life and induce it wherever it's from it's, it's going to leave you either with a depleted immune system or by acting in a certain way, it's going to empower the immune system. That's my big takeaway there. But I wanted to bring Rob back in the conversation because we was talking just before the phone call about three things he wanted to make the public aware of that I wasn't even aware of in terms of where the focus is around immunity and the immune system. Yeah, no, th- thank you, Harms. The, I mean, there are three simple processes that we need to look at and it's always helpful and I um, apologize being a scientist I tend to sort of break things down into compartments but you know if we think of the avoidance aspect as as one of the goals obviously all of the social distancing that is being imposed on us is about trying to avoid exposure but I want to remind people that you know because there are so many people who are not necessarily going to find it that easy, particularly not in a month or two time. It's all very well. We're recording this uh, on mm. on day four 
of lockdown in the UK. Right. Um, when you're looking at, uh, you know, a month or two down the line, when we still know there's going to be some fairly big numbers out there, there's a very real risk that um, people will start mixing more freely. And the bottom line is, you know, if you are fairly healthy, you're fairly young, you can become a carrier, an asymptomatic carrier. But when you then want to finally see your grandma that you haven't seen for a couple of months because of lockdown, you think, hey, this whole thing's calmed down. We haven't seen anyone with symptoms recently. I've got to see it. it's her birthday coming up. That's when the risk occurs. So um, to understand how the virus, how you avoid getting the virus, this idea of sanitation, hand washing is pretty important because simple soap um, removes the virus from the hands. And the virus doesn't go through our skin. It has to go to a mucous membrane. So I'm okay. going to stress again the importance of then not touching um, your mouth, your nose, and your eyes. And, and you know, you can make a game of it. You can have a lot of fun say, hey, spotted you um, touching mm. your nose. Um, mm. You know, you're not getting points or you are getting points or whatever. S you know, sit in the naughty corner or whatever it's going to be. That's so a great one for parents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So really trying to help kids in particular who could become the most, that's why the schools are closed, they could become the most important um, transmitters of this. And it's the people they love most, often their grandparents that are actually most at risk. So avoidance is, is one um, that, that's really important to th think about. Second one is there is a big difference when you are, you know, we don't have any drugs available. There's no known antiviral drugs that are really going to work. Um, there's a, a you know, there's there's over 100 clinical trials in process with everything from, you know, repurposed um, drugs from malaria through to HIV AIDS. You know, nearly all of those have some pretty nasty consequences. Right. What, we know, what we know from the from the Hubei experience, the province in China um, that, that had the, the primary issue, the majority of the Chinese were were actually using Chinese traditional medicine um, hasn't been widely reported, but it has been reported in really? some scientific journals. Um, the majority of them were. And in fact, they've already got data on um, two or three um, Chinese herbal compounds that, that were delivering some very positive results. Um, and of course, most of the health authorities are very keen for that not to to get out too widely. But <laughs> the, the bottom line is that human nature says in the absence of a drug, people will use natural products. Now, really important to, to understand that within that, we know a lot about the resources that this incredibly um, sophisticated and amazing system we call the immune system needs. And one of the reasons that... Um, vitamins and minerals, um, about 30 of them are considered essential, is because we cannot live without them. And one of the big reasons that we need them is to allow our immune system to function. So when you start to look at dietary surveys and you look at what the average person eats, you see there are some consistent patterns with things that people are just not getting enough of from their average diet. And yeah. I'll just let me just mention three. Um, so the first one is vitamin A. You know, you can convert carotenoids, particularly beta carotene, they're in colored fruits and vegetables, to 
vitamin A in your body. That conversion process is very variable between different individuals, um, and it, it is pretty inefficient. You lose a lot, somewhere between six and 24-fold loss during the conversion. Um, the, so, so it's better to take vitamin A in its, in its preformed uh, form. And the two ways of doing that is either by eating rich sources of vitamin A, and the richest sources are animal livers, be it um, beef liver, chicken liver, or even cod liver. So there's a lot of vitamin A in cod liver oil. If you're um, a vegetarian or vegan, that's going to be a problem. But you can then take vitamin A in a supplement. So um, retinal palmitate is a great form of vitamin A that the body absorbs pretty readily. Um, so, so, and, and just you know, having about um, two and a half thousand micrograms of that a day um, is is pretty good for the immune system. Don't have screamingly high doses, but that kind of dosage, um, which is around the upper level of what we might get from our food if we ate food that was rich in vitamin a would be a good idea can i just jump in on the, on the supplements because sure. so, we will have people i mean harms obviously included in that myself who are primarily vegetarians supplements uh, is the view is there a specific i know you can't name brands but any sort of form that that should be taken in a tablet or liquid yeah you, you'll normally find that it's either going to come that that form of vitamin a will either come in a capsule a liquid or a tablet. The, the more important thing is that it's a reputable brand. Um, and, you know, if you look for the form, you'll see that sometimes you'll see vitamin A, but it's actually come from carotenoids. Um, and it will say something like beta carotene or mixed carotenoids as a source. Um, right. Try and get it. <coughs> Excuse me, that's not coronavirus. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, so try and get it as retinyl palmitate and you can right. look that up and you can buy it online very easily. Great. Fantastic. And then um, the, um, the next... Just I, all I was going to say is just to let your um, listeners know that on our website on the 12th of March, we actually produced an article um, entitled Build Your Immune Resilience as Nature Intended. And there's more information there on the top on a top 10 sort of tips for immune resilience it's by no means the only supplements and the only herbs out there for immune resilience but there's some of the more um, easily available um, ones that, that that are in there so people can read a bit more on that vitamin d and the zinc would be the other two that i would really stress and um, vitamin d again you want to be taking about four thousand to eight thousand international units um, a day which is um, considerably less than you would get if you had 80% sun exposure on a midsummer's day in the UK, where you would be producing the amount of circulating vitamin D that's equivalent to about consumption of about 20,000 international units. Oh, wow. So, so, you know, it's not a screamingly high level of vitamin D. One of the reasons that we develop these respiratory infections in winter, and we don't tend to get them in the summer, again, look at the pattern of infections around the world at the moment, you'll see that they're generally occurring in cold climates at the end of winter when mm. people's vitamin D levels are very low. The, the third nutrient that people are naturally Rob, very low. Sorry, just coming back sure. to D. Yeah. So a question that came at me recently, because I was talking about, you know, get out, get some sunlight, vitamin D. And 
the question that seems to come up quite a lot is do i have to ha be half naked is it all right if i'm you know just my head yeah. my face no it, look it, no. it really it really doesn't um, help very much just to have your face or your arms or your legs even in the midsummer so at the moment the angle of the sun we're we're in the middle of march 2020 and uh, the angle of the sun in the uk roughly the latitude of london is still too low even at midday to right. give you significant capacity to build vitamin D in your body. You'd have to sit there for two or three hours, um, which, you know, if you're in lockdown, hey, it may be the best thing you can do. <laughs> um, but um, it's, and, and you'd have to be almost naked, underpants right. only, um, in order to do that. So you, you will get the same, you, you'll get about the equivalent of 20,000 IU, you'll hit your target levels if you, spend um, just 20 minutes with 80% of your body exposed. Right. Um, and obviously, the darker your skin, the uh, more sun you need. Um, mm. So which is why people with darker skins in northern climates are often the most vitamin D deficient. Right. So it's really important to be taking a vitamin D supplement. The, the other one is zinc, because Zinc is crucial both for innate and adaptive immune function. It really helps to modulate. Um, the Historically, humans have got most of their zinc from fish or animal foods. Obviously, if you're vegetarian, you're not going to get any. But sadly, even those who do choose to eat some animals are also um, not getting any from or getting very little from fish and other animal foods, most of the zinc supply in the human diet is now coming from fortified foods and fortified breakfast cereals. Um, if you measure the consumption from fortified foods, it doesn't look too bad. If you then look at the circulating levels of zinc, it's really horrendous. And the reason for that is we are consuming most of the zinc in fortified foods Either they are wheat-based or grain-based, full of phytic acid that complexes it out, or we consume a multivitamin tablet with the zinc in it, and then we have a slice of toast or a bowl of cereals next to us. And, and that process, again, puts the phytic acid in, and we lose most of that zinc. We don't absorb it. So you want to try and consume your zinc away from food, um, you can take it as liquid in drops or you can take it as a lozenge that you suck um, and you get really good sublingual uh, delivery uh, underneath the tongue. Um, and you can very quickly, just by taking the, the recommended daily allowance, the nutrient reference value, you know, 15, that, that's 15 milligrams a day. You can easily go up to 30 milligrams a day, but don't go much over that because if you consume too much, you actually undo all the benefits of taking it and you get this U-shaped curve where actually oh, really? it actually starts to destabilize. Um, if you take more than about 50 milligrams a day regularly, you will start to destabilize your immune system. It won't modulate um, particularly between um, T TH1 and TH2 uh, cells, you know, key lymphocytes. That's, that's, that's Sorry, Tom. So I was going to say, well, just for the listeners at home, I've just, I had the blog on my screen whilst Rob was talking there, and all of that information is on there, plus eight, plus seven more types of methods to build an immune resilience as nature intended. So we'll put that in the show notes as well, so listeners Brilliant. can quickly access that article because it's fantastic. I was having a little read in the background. 
I know we're conscious of time, but I'm just going to ask a personal question. What's your view on supplementing with vitamin C and magnesium as well? They're, they're on our list. Um, okay. you know, uh, excellent. The, vitamin C is critical for the immune system, one of the most well-established vitamins for immune yeah. support. Um, and the magnesium is, is critical for multiple reasons, including yeah. um, facilitating the absorption of, of vitamin D. Yes. So, um, and, and also another reason that magnesium is so important is that people are very, very deficient in it in the population. So they're yeah. absolutely on the list. Yeah. And what's what's really encouraging is that um, we're now hearing that the, the hospitals, some of the hospitals in New York are actually using um, vitamin C, IV vitamin C um, to exactly. treat coronavirus patients. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and that I mean, I've read when because our children aren't vaccinated and, and one, I read a couple of books early on on this subject and I was fascinated to see massive sections of the books dedicated to vitamin C and how people have been turned around from really extreme situations where just intravenously no other treatment worked but the vitamin C seemed to bring them back into into a life you know that situation it, you know I mentioned there were three things well one is one is avoidance the second is prevention the third is treatment right I personally would want to go Onto, if I had severe respiratory disease uh, as a result of, of infection, I would personally want to go onto IVC. Right. That's very interesting to hear that. That is uh, interesting. Yeah. So we've got avoidance, prevention, and treatment. So those are the three messages. Can I just uh, jump on to, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to be, this is just me wanting to try and get as much as we can squeeze out of, out of you both. For people practicing on a day-to-day -day basis eating, can we throw some stuff in there? I know there's content on the website, but whilst we've got you here, eating, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot in the past, Rob, different colors of food during the course of the day. And there's yeah. people listening with sure. kids and any, any kind of big uh, jigsaw pieces we can add in here. Our food for health guide. I mean, it's got it all in there on, on our website. You can put that in the show notes. It's, it's a comprehensive way of, of eating. We've got a vegan version. We've got an omnivorous version, but it is all about and we've got a kids version. And we've got a kids okay. version. Fantastic. Yeah. But it's all about um, ensuring that there is diversity in the diet, that there's a minimal amount of, of, of processed foods. And if you do have processed foods, they are minimally processed themselves. Um, it's about getting six um, different color groups into your food every day so that you are getting this diversity of plant nutrients. Um, it's based around very expansive um, scientific view that um, that actually diversity in the diet is an essential requirement for human beings. There are, if you look at the receptors and the enzyme systems um, and gene expression systems within the human body, they are designed to work with a diverse range of plant nutrients and amino acids and, and other components of food. Um, food is essentially the way that we um, we apply the external environment into our bodies so that we can um, derive the resources that we need along with sunlight. You know, the, this idea of eating a, a sort of regular kind of um, processed food approach to, to, to diet is actually what underpins um, most of the burden of the healthcare crisis that we're currently in. It's also one of the reasons that, um, you know, if you look at um, the kind of patients who are suffering uh, from COVID-19 at the moment most severely, um, a very large proportion of them 
are have metabolic syndrome, are overweight, have heart disease as well, um, and that's what makes them so susceptible. So we right. need to be leaner. We need to have diverse diets. Um, the NH Food for for Health um, guide is available in its multiple forms. It's all there. And can I can I can I just add in as well is that um, every single stage of the immune process is actually um, driven by nutrients. And this is this is a message again that's not getting through. And I and I I talked to Rob about it the other day because I I'm so passionate about the fact that we could be using this current situation to change the health of nations. Yeah. But unfortunately, our doctors in med school are not taught no. anything about no. the nutrient interactions with the immune system. Yeah. So they know all about drug interactions, but not nutrients. But so that's what you know. If 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 your listeners take one thing away, it's that. Every stage is nutrient dependent. So if you're deficient in, you know, anything from your um, omega-3 oils all the way through to your arginine or your nucleotides, you're not going to be driving, a, you know, an appropriate immune response. And it's something that's really easy to correct at home. And the other, the other thing I'd like to say is obviously whilst we're in lockdown, I wonder if anyone has considered the fact that they don't actually need as much food as normal. Mm. because we really don't want to disturb our metabolism because we need our our metabolism and our immune system to be working optimally and we're not as active even if you're doing your one load of exercise a day that we're allowed in the UK I'm not sure what other parts of the world are allowing Um, even if you are active in the day it's not quite the same as being out and about in your daily life so think about your portion sizes and how much food you're actually putting in um, so that you don't overload. That's a very interesting point because one of the things that's come out over the last week or so is people talking about, oh my gosh, I'm starting to eat more. And the fear puts people into this emotional lockdown. It does. And then of course the comfort, they go eat crap. Often yeah, sugar, sugar based. Which sugar, is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's literally it, to me, it's like we're stood at a fork in the road. One is you go down a really healthy choice or the other one is you go into an emotional shutdown and eat whatever you can. And of course, they're going to the shelves. I see people grabbing heaps of Coke from the shelves and white bread and all the stuff that's processed. And Harminder and I were laughing because he went and did some shopping for us just today. And all of the fresh vegetables are, are still full, whereas all the junk <laughs> stripped off the shelves. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's it's it is it's dire because I'm thinking about what we're going to be reaping from this in the next oh, six months to eighteen months, and then when you add on the stress that we still have to go through in terms of people's Why jobs yeah. and the, the economy, it's you know get a handle on your emotions now. Learn to be flexible. Learn how to get yourself out of that state so that even if people around you are losing your head, losing their heads, you'll keep yours. Yes. I mean, just um, to bring a soft but philosophical message here to all the listeners, this is a chance to actually enjoy a meal around the table as a family, whereas one of you might traditionally be coming in late, rushing out for a meeting, whatever. This is a chance to come to the table and rejoice food, enjoy it, prepare it together. You know, if you're doing kale, wash it and, and, and feel it, because I think a lot of people eat so much processed food, they don't even associate with what they're putting in their mouths. It's just a functional thing, whereas this is a whole experience of eating and uh, enjoying it as a family exactly so i mean i'm just conscious of time because you've got work to do i think on your newsletter tonight as well (laughs) we we, we do but 
if there's Can anything just, else burning. Yeah, well, the only other question I've got is the treatment side. So just to recap, so avoidance, which we talked about distance, hand washing and, 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 and there. Prevention, we've talked about diet. We've talked about the fear, trying to move your, you know, preventing it by, by your, on an emotional level from the mental level, starting to look at vitamins, eating some more natural foods. Go and have a look at some of the recommendations on the NH website. Treatment, is there anything else that you want to just touch on there, Rob? Because we only well, just briefly yeah. mentioned. Exactly. I do think that probably vitamin C intravenously is likely to be one of the most effective treatments. The great thing is, is it is currently in trial. It is also being used. Yeah. Um, we we know historically it has had a very potent effect. Yes. Um, the kind of the kind of levels that we're looking at when they're used intravenously, you cannot achieve by um, consuming, um, you know, capsules, tablets, powders. No, because we're talking about large amounts here, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, very, very large amounts. Amount. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, gram quantities being delivered directly, not yes. through your gut, but straight into the into the bloodstream. Okay. So, um, and, and viruses are very, very sensitive to, to acid. So you, you'll see lots of people, and we shouldn't underestimate the fact that there is a a lot of unsubstantiated and probably erroneous or misleading information out there on the internet as well. And so you'll find a whole bunch of, of uh, recommendations for all sorts of products where the, the only testing has come from in vitro, in other words, test tube studies. And, you know, essentially use a little bit of acid and you'll wipe out coronavirus. Thing is that if it doesn't go into the stomach acid, it can bypass that. It, it hits the mucus layer, and if they're the right receptors there, it goes into the cells. So you you really need some evidence from human studies. And the beauty with vitamin C, there's been a long history of its usage. It has been used around other viruses. It is already the, the results that are beginning to filter out. We happen to know some of the sort of key players who've been right at the helm of um, intravenous vitamin C therapy for cancer and other treatments, um, it's looking really promising. So I'd put that, I would choose to have that any day over taking high doses of antimalarials like chloroquine or hydrochloroquine. Wow. And, and just in terms of treatment as well, is to please keep your feet on the ground. And, you know, if you do contract coronavirus, in the majority of people, it's like a moderate to serious flu. Mm. So, you know, go to bed, drink lots of fluids, make sure that you've got fresh air, let your body cleanse itself, um, let your temperature do what it's meant to do and burn mm. out the bugs. Yes. And be be with yourself in the disease process and and trust your body and trust your immune system. If um, If you do get into real respiratory crisis, then you know there's the IVC and there's, uh, you know, there's a different way to go. But just to remind people that the majority of people are, are having asymptomatic to mild symptoms to sort of moderate symptoms and just feeling like they've had a really serious bout of flu. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's a great point, actually, because I think that's the challenge we've got at the moment is if we didn't have this on the table, most people would be like, well, I think I've just got a flu. So it's the, even the differentiation of that between that and COVID at the moment. I think a lot of people are confused. Yeah. Uh, yeah and and talking just, about the. Sorry, Rob, go, please. I, I was just going to say just to to make sure there's no confusion there for the listeners. So when I talked about treatment, it was specifically for people who've got serious respiratory disease right. as a result of infection. So yeah. for most people treatment equals no treatment and that mm. means 
also coming on to, to what Mel's just said, it means no paracetamol, no ibuprofen. Why? Because they suppress the body, go right. to the fever reaction that's actually very much part of the process of, of going through the disease. Um, and actually that raise and that, that increase in body temperature is, is something again that the viruses don't like at all, which is why we get fevers in the first place. And um, you just got to go through that process. Which is why hydration really plays out here, doesn't it? Fluids, it does. Fluids, fluids, absolutely essential. And yeah. if, any, if anyone's lucky enough to have an infrared sauna at home, then make use of it. You know, it, it really helps to, um, to move things out. And the coronavirus is, uh, doesn't like heat either. I need to have that conversation with you separately, Mel, because you meant you you dropped that bombshell on me about seven months ago <laughs> when I saw you, and I'm still talking about that because I said to my other half because we were thinking about getting one. I said I need to talk to Mel because she kept talking about infrared, infrared, infrared. <laughs> I know. I'm just I'm just very envious because I've got no space and not not able to do anything here. But yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a good. Can I, uh, sorry, Harms, just to jump in. We talked about, and I, I know we've got to move quickly now to finish, but we talked about fear as being one of the preventions in terms of managing that. I, I don't know if, if you're in a space to say what we shouldn't and shouldn't eat, but I'm just conscious that there might be people that are genuinely ignorant about certain food types or processed food types that actually can lower the immune system, create acidity and make the blood vulnerable. Can we throw some of those out without saying brands? Are we able to, to well, mention that? Sugar. I was just going to say sugar. Yeah, sugar's, the, yeah, of course, sugar's sugar. the obvious one, isn't it? Sugar, yeah. processed carbohydrates are the big thing. Um, so pasta, white bread. But, yeah, the any... very thing that people have been bulk buying. I know. <laughs> the pasta, the, the polished rice, you know, the, the very processed rice, bread, anything like that that is a processed carbohydrate. Coca-Cola. Yeah. Simply get rid of those things and replace them with a diverse range of, of particularly vegetables. Uh, you know, a lot of people will tend to put fruits and vegetables into the same category. They are incredibly different beasts. You know, by definition, fruits do contain a lot of fructose, a lot of sugar. So while having a small amount of fruit, particularly after you've actually consumed a main meal so that you manage your blood sugar spike, yeah. it is fine. You cannot treat vegetables and fruit interchangeably the way in which we tend to when we say just eat more fruit and veg. So what we would need to do is eat a lot more veg um, and make sure that we're eating a diversity of, of fruits and not necessarily um, the sweetest ones or the, 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 the least nutrient-dense ones, like bananas, which is incidentally the most popular fruit eaten in the world and certainly in the UK. Um, but um, we should try and get, again, color in there. So even if we're choosing apples, choose um, a type of apple that isn't loaded with sugar. So a jazz apple um, is not a great apple in the sense that it's the sweetest apple out there. So again, choose something like a Granny Smith. And it's a great thing to have after a meal. Um, it's full of fiber. It's not very high on sugar. Um, it delivers a whole bunch of, of, of different compounds that the body really loves, helps you to digest foods better. Your microbiome, the, the microbes in your gut love it. So, yeah, try and get those vegetables in. And just substituting out those, those refined carbohydrates for above-ground, um, non-starchy vegetable is a great way to go. And that's very central to our food for health guide. 
And and with all this time, uh, you know, on people's hands in lockdown, it's a perfect time to get in the kitchen and learn to cook if that's not yes. your thing. Yeah. You you know you can you can watch YouTube videos, you can yeah. experiment with different recipes, but just make friends with food. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it, actually. Absolutely. So, well, I had a question, which is which is just trying to put a bit of a fun spin on this, which is, you guys have busted a whole bunch of myths from myself as well. But I thought, is there something that you, within your profession that you hear from non-scientists that is so common, but it's just not true? Because you spoke about, well, the, the misinformation out there and it seems to be growing immensely. So is there some common, maybe one common thing that you've noticed that you constantly get told that people believe to be true, okay. but it's just not okay. true. Let, let, I'll say one, and I'm sure Mel has another one. Yeah. Um, the one I'm going to throw in just to be a little awkward <laughs> is the fact that we can do nothing until a vaccine comes. Oh, um, and and let, let me just mm. explain that. We know that a vaccine is going to take, um, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci from, from NIH in the U.S. is very, very... Um, consistent with his view that it will take more than 12 months to produce a vaccine. Now, if we are supposedly meant to do nothing, which is a pretty crazy idea, given the fact that our immune system is working on this all the time, working round the clock on it, um, it's going to be rather awkward when we find that, um, depending on which particular mathematical model you choose to look at, we would expect probably somewhere between you know, a quarter and three quarters of the global population to have been exposed to um, coronavirus in a year's time. Yeah. And, and what that will mean is that, you know, let's say half the world population to take the, the average will already have natural immunity. They will have done exactly what vaccines try and do using vaccine-like particles with, mm. um, you know, adjuvants that themselves may be harmful, which is why we need to have such a delay to test if these things are safe, when in fact we know that, that the vast majority of people are going to have been exposed to it um, and, and will have natural immunity. So you could argue the market then, even though many people will be forced to take the vaccine, it will be largely unnecessary. So natural immunity is a process that's going to happen regardless. Which is, which is why everything we've talked about is so important. It's starting to work towards getting the body in that space to protect right. and to, to move forward. Mel? And that leads me into what I wanted to say, because what I'm hearing repeatedly is that you can't do anything to change your immunity and <laughs> that, that there is nothing natural that can help in with for, for the coronavirus. Now, whilst I'm never going to make a claim that the, a vitamin or mineral or a herb is going to cure your coronavirus, what I would absolutely say is that you know we've we've actually we've actually survived through evolution this far because mm. of what's in the natural world and because of how it engages and talks to and informs our immune system. So, absolutely. We need to be doing those things. And in that instance, it's good to learn from people who have come out of functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, um, all the herbal medicine, because we're the ones who get taught this. We actually understand what is happening at that level. And it may not come from your doctor, but it is absolutely so. Wow. 
I want to, uh, before I hand back to Harminda, uh, can I just ask you personally both, is there a word of wisdom or a personal share from both of you to our listeners, just something from the heart, just to give them a sense of, because there's going to obviously be fear, uh, nervousness. I think today more than anything will have made them feel a sense of empowerment. And I think the tools you've given us certainly would have helped them, but any well, personal share before. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what I would like to explain to people, if there's one thing that they take from this, it's, it's, and it's, we're using it really as, as the sort of catch cry for a lot of the work we're doing around this is, is don't fight it, just adapt. We could be celebrating the arrival of this, this new bug that's going to make us um, more resilient. We can also celebrate the fact that, that it, it is in a strange old way, while we are socially isolated, people are starting to become more neighborly again. We've got ourselves into a very, very difficult corner. You know, if you look at the, the elections, recent elections in, in the UK and the USA, you look at the kind of individualism that's mm. being um portrayed by Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. And, you know, we're seeing it certainly more from Boris than we are from, from Mr. Trump. But there is now a kind of collectivism that is, you know, part of really where we need to move to, to understand that we are one. We are not just one amongst each other as human beings. We are one with nature and the planet. And we have a shared responsibility for it. We don't need to fight it because it is part of us. The whole of nature is full of tensions that exist between positive and negative, between, you know, things that are sharp and things that are smooth, um, between things that hurt that don't hurt. It's what, it, what creates our orientation towards things that are better, things that are, and, you know, that, that drives evolution. It's what drives progress. And we have been getting very, very lost. And if we continue to think that technology is the only thing that can rescue us, we're looking in the wrong direction. Mm. We need mm. to change that. Powerful message. And um, I think I'd really like to say that, you know, I've learned in my life that every challenge brings enormous potential for change. Mm. And, and that change should never be frightening because life is uncertain. And uncertainty has been our partner in life throughout evolution. We all know how to do uncertainty. And we all have the resilience and the flexibility within us to be able to, to actually flex and move with yes. what life throws at us. So use this time to connect more deeply to yourself. You know, connect with the earth, connect with the world around you, you know, breathe, be mindful. And take some time in nature every day when you can. And above all, remember that we've got the power to reframe anything we don't like. Mm. So, you know, I really believe that we are immensely powerful beings. Um, we have free will and we have choice in this universe. And also, we don't need to move anywhere to harness the power of intention. Mm. So in this time of lockdown, make it your creation time. Yeah. Beautiful message. Thank you both. Thank you so much, Ro. Thank you yes, so much, Hans. Been Thank you to fabulous. both of you. Absolute pleasure. Ro, any final words before I well, sign us I'm, off? You know, I, I'm just going to be silent because I think what everybody's just heard there is immense. I think it is, they're going to need to sit and process it. What I would ask is 
I mean, I've written down a couple of things just at the end there because I think it's a beautiful way to finish this podcast with this interview. But if you're listening to this and you have anybody close to you that you love, spread the word, you know, send them the link to this. We're, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Um, this is the very first interview we've done outside myself and Harms talking. And wow, I mean, talk about impact incredible content thank you so much and i'm you know i'm pleased we spent the time at the beginning as well getting to know you because i i've known you for years this is the first time harms has interacted with you but i wanted our listeners to hear you because i have a funny feeling that we're going to get you back on again <laughs> um because things have come up today that we we can't not talk about further and if you're okay to do that we'd lovely lovely to have you back on again absolutely it would be we'd wonderful thank you i'm gonna i'm gonna hand you over to harms Thank you, Ro. And what a milestone episode for the Growth Tribes podcast. 4,000 downloads, episode number 20, and the first episode to feature two amazing guests. And we are truly blessed that they have shared their wisdom at such a timely moment in history. So as normal, and please remember, all important links will be in the show notes at growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. That's growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, this is Dr. Rowe and Harms signing out. Hello, it's Dr. Rowe here. Harms and I would both like to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Growth Tribes. And if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal level, on a professional level, to help your life maybe even other people's lives, then we'd love it if you could take action on one of the following things. You can either simply subscribe so you don't miss out on any other great insights coming up in the future. You can share this podcast with close friends so they can also get the benefits of the tips and tools that we're sharing. Or it would be amazing if you could give us a review and let others know just how great this episode was. And finally, if you do have a question, don't forget to submit it on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening. This is Dr. Rowan Harm signing out and we'll see you again on the next podcast. <laughs>